Well, what book of the Bible are we looking at? Yes, chapter 12, which we continue on from last time. Um, John chapter 12. Uh, I'll probably forget that I have a PowerPoint, so feel free to pick it up. Uh, John chapter 12 and beginning at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? He did not say it was, it was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will not always have the poor among you. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out where Jesus was and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. We picked things up in John's Gospel this week with a very strange dinner party. And it happens in a town called Bethany, just outside the capital of Jerusalem. The last time Jesus was in Bethany, he was there for the funeral of an old friend, Lazarus. Except he wasn't there to pay his respects or to comfort his grieving sisters, Mary and Martha, though he did that. He came to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. He, he came uh, to Bethany with the express purpose of standing at Lazarus's tomb, shouting, Lazarus, come out, and him walking out from the tomb. Out walks Lazarus, who has been dead there for four days. And now Jesus is back in Bethany. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And incidentally, this is the last time he goes to Jerusalem because he's not going to get out of there alive this time. But Bethany is on the way. And so he stops off there and they throw a big dinner party for him. And guess who's there? Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead. Verse 1, just in case you'd forgotten. Imagine what a strange dinner party that would have been, you know, hanging out with this guy who has come back from the dead. Uh, we don't know who all was there, but as well as the disciples and Lazarus and Mary and Martha, there were probably lots of other people too. This is a, a dinner party being thrown in Jesus' honour. Um, his just being in town for a day or two was a, a reason to celebrate. And actually, we're, we're told in, in Matthew and Mark, who also record the story, that this party wasn't in Lazarus's house. It was uh, in a house owned by a guy called Simon. Uh, we don't know who he was, but maybe he had a big dining room or something. Uh, but that, that, that's where it was. And maybe some of his friends were there too. Just imagine the conversation. Imagine Lazarus sitting there at the table just telling the story of how Jesus had raised him from the dead. 
what was it like to be dead, Lazarus? Did you feel a bit rough when you came back? You know, I mean, I just love to have been there. But we're not told anything about that. All we're told is that Lazarus, about Lazarus is that he died and that Jesus raised him from the dead. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. He is living, walking, proof that Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus is God and give life to whoever he wants. And people respond to that in a number of ways. We've seen that there are many responses to Jesus. Some people adore him and some people hate him. But in this passage, I want us to see there's three responses. Uh, There is someone that we meet who thinks Jesus is worth everything. And then we meet someone who thinks there's a limit to what he's worth. And then we meet someone, some people, who just hate Jesus and his followers. And as we walk our way through the story and meet these people, I want to ask you a question. Do you think Jesus is worth it? Whatever it is, do you think he's worth it? Well, first we meet someone who thinks Jesus is worth everything. Let's pick things up again at verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, just in case you've forgotten. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is a typical picture of Mary and Martha. Martha is busy serving dinner. Mary is busy adoring Jesus. And sometime over dinner, uh, Mary starts pouring out expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and and wiped his feet with her hair as she was doing that. Uh, This is someone who adores Jesus, who wants to honour him and to show him, and everyone else for that matter, how much he is worth. Uh, that, that alone was pretty amazing, even if it was a cheap bottle from Tesco. Now, guys, if you've never bought perfume, a pint will set you back, I think, no less than 50 quid. You know, even the cheap stuff. But when we read on, we realise that what John means by expensive perfume is on a totally different level to what we think of as expensive. I mean, I, I think 30 quid is expensive perfume, but Judas, ever the money man, values the perfume being used as worth a year's wages. Now, I had a look up, what's this worth today? Minimum wage, maybe that would be about standard year's wages. Over 13 grand, minimum wage keeps going up. And Mary pours it all on Jesus' feet. So I wonder what kind of perfume this would be. I had a look at the perfume shop website and the most expensive perfume I could find was £130. So I thought, well, that's not expensive enough for Mary um, and Martha. So I checked Harrods. If you want to find something expensive, go to Harrods. Their most expensive bottle was two and a half grand for 100 mils. Make that a pint and it's about two and a, it's 12 and a half grand. So that's the level we're talking about here. Mary's pouring out a pint of pure nard a really expensive perfume, the kind of perfume the Queen buys out of Harrods, right? Now, I, we don't know. Either Mary and her family were really wealthy, well, they must have been fairly wealthy, uh, but probably this was a family heirloom that was passed down from generation to generation, that, that the kind of thing used for special occasions and we drop given at weddings or something like that. But, but Mary, wherever it has come from, Mary holds nothing back. I mean, she doesn't just sprinkle this perfume in Jesus. She doesn't just take a drop. She pours it out to the very last drop. 
You see, Mary thinks Jesus is worth everything she can give. Everyone in that house knows that, that someone thinks Jesus is worth pouring out to the last drop the most precious thing she has to give. And the smell of Mary's love for Jesus fills that house. Jesus means everything to Mary. She knows that he has been sent by God. Um, Perhaps she, like her sister, recognises that he is the promised king, the son of God. She loves to sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. And he's brought her brother back from the dead. Jesus has done so much for her that she holds nothing back. There's no limit to what she's prepared to do for him. And so she pours out to the last drop the most precious thing she has to give. I wonder what you're thinking. I wonder what everyone else was thinking. They're going, wow, what devotion, what love Mary has for Jesus that she gave the most expensive thing she has for him. I'm really thinking maybe, what are you thinking? Maybe Mary was a bit silly, a bit extreme, pouring out a year's wages, perfume on Jesus' feet. Well, one person is appalled by it, and that's Judas. We've just seen Mary, someone who thinks Jesus is worth everything, demonstrate her love for Jesus. But now we see Judas, one of the disciples, sneer. Because he's someone who thinks there is a limit to what Jesus is worth. Someone who thinks there are limits to what Jesus is worth. Judas, you see, thinks that Mary's devotion is all a bit much. What a foolish woman, he grunts, after Mary pours out the last drop of the perfume. Verse 4, but, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Maybe you're with Judas here. What a terrible waste. Surely a small amount would have done. This is just extravagant, pointless waste. And he, he frames disgust in such noble, though harsh, terms. This should have been given to the poor. Imagine what 13 grand could have done for the poor in this town. But this silly woman has poured it all out in Jesus' feet. Judas thinks there are limits to what Jesus is worth. And this bubble of perfume is a step too far for him. But the thing is, Judas wasn't concerned about the poor. He was concerned about himself. In verse 6, John explains the logic in Judas's head. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. See, Judas had sticky fingers. And unfortunately, he also happened to be the person who looked after the money bag for Jesus and the disciples. He was the, the treasurer of the group. And this money bag was, would have been used for both the needs of the group, the food that needed to be bought, and, and for giving to the poor. But Judas also liked to stick his own hand in and take a bit out for himself. He just helped himself from it. Judas wants the 13 grand in the money bag that he looked after because no one would notice when he stuck his hand in and took his cut. See, Judas doesn't think he's getting enough out of being a disciple. Judas is discovering this business of being a disciple of Jesus isn't very easy. But he's found a way to make things worth his while. Digging into the money bag. 
See, Judas's love of money was increasing and it was going to destroy him. And when Mary pours out that 13 grand of pure nard on Jesus' feet, Judas is livid. He is raging that he didn't get the chance to nick some of it. Certainly, Judas is a perfect example of someone who is religious, but not a true disciple. If you want to see what it looks like to be in a church, but not a disciple, to be a Christian leader even, but not a disciple, to be a Christian in name only, but not in your nature, then look no further than Judas Iscariot. Because Judas is a disciple for only as long as he's getting something out of it. There's a limit to how much he'll give for Jesus. And it won't be long before he gives Jesus up to those who want to kill him for a nice, tidy, cash sum. But before Judas' attitude about Mary spreads too far around the group, Jesus has something to say. He doesn't confront the theft. He deals with the accusation Judas has voiced. Because you can imagine, couldn't you, that the, the murmuring that went round the room, uh, Judas's sour objection, what a stupid thing to do, spreading around the group. And Jesus wants to stop this thinking in its track, so he says in verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she thought, that it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Judas may think Mary a bit over the top, but Jesus doesn't think so. Uh, Matthew's record of this story tells us that Jesus also said about Mary, she has done a beautiful thing for me, to me. Mary, Mary wasn't being silly or wasteful. For her, this was a costly act of humble, sacrificial devotion to Jesus. She thought he was worth it. Worth the most expensive thing she had. And Jesus sees this for what it is, a beautiful thing, the devotion of his disciple. But he sees it as more than that. He sees it as a picture, a picture of what is going to happen to him when he goes to Jerusalem. As far as Jesus is concerned, Mary is preparing him for his burial. Uh, Mary had no idea what she was doing. Uh, the cross took the disciples by surprise. But for Jesus, he knows he, when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to his death. See, in that culture, people would have used perfumes to make a dead body smell better as it decayed. Treating the body with perfume was part of the standard burial custom. The people had the means. It wasn't uncommon to spend lavish amounts in funeral costs, such as these perfumes poured out on the dead body. But here is Mary pouring out perfume on Jesus while he was still alive. Uh, to her and all those around her, it was an, extra- an extravagant devotion and love for Jesus. But Jesus knows that it won't be long before Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take his dead body and pour liters of perfume on it before putting him in the tomb. We see that in John 19. So he says that Mary is preparing him for his burial. This certainly was a strange dinner party, wasn't it? First of all, Lazarus is there, who died and been raised from the dead. That's strange enough. Then Mary starts pouring out 13 grand of perfume in Jesus' feet, and the house is filled with the smell of this perfume. And all the while, Judas tries to stir up an argument with his harsh ridicule of Jesus. No, uh, harsh ridicule of Mary, sorry. And now Jesus is talking about his imminent death and burial. She has prepared me for burial. You will not always have me with you. Talk about a conversation killer. But the cross is looming. 
Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. He knows what will happen there. And he is going there anyway. He has set his face towards Jerusalem. He, he, he is determined to go there. Because he's going to die in our place so that he can forgive the sins of all those who put their faith and trust in him. So that for all those who believe, he will raise us, raise us from the dead to eternal life with him. You see, real Christianity doesn't begin with us, uh, with, with Mary, for instance, pouring out her love for Jesus. It begins with what Jesus had done and is going to do for her. And for us as well, a Christian faith doesn't begin with us doing something great for Jesus. It begins with him doing something great for us. He has gone to the cross for us. He has died in our place. And, and Christianity is a life of deep gratitude to Jesus. Gratitude from the depth of our hearts. That's why we remember the table every week and we remember what he has done for us. So that for us as we live our lives, nothing will be too great for us to do for him. Nothing will be too costly because we are grateful for what he has done for us. But let's beware of being like Judas. See, Judas serves as an example to us that it's possible to see miracles, to be in the inner circle of Jesus, even to look like you're following Jesus, but to have a heart that is totally unchanged by the cross. A heart that is totally unchanged by what Jesus has done for us. Because Christianity is about a life of gratitude to Jesus for what he has done. That's what Mary was doing as she poured out that perfume at his feet. That's what was missing in Judas's heart. When he complained about that waste when he stuck his sticky fingers in the money bag. And that's what's missing in our hearts. When there's things we're not prepared to do for him or give up for him. We've forgotten what he's done for us and so we're not grateful. And then there's a limit to what we're prepared to do. Well, we've seen two responses so far. Someone who thinks Jesus is worth everything. Someone who thinks there's a limit to what Jesus is worth. And finally, we see someone, some people, who hate Jesus and his followers. Uh, pick things up with verse 9. Meanwhile, while this is going on, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For an account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So the news starts to spread that Lazarus is in town and people start coming out to see him. And also to see Lazarus who's died and come back to life at Jesus' command. And do you want to see someone who, who has been risen from the dead? And because of this, many people are coming to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Uh, John reported for us back in chapter 11, verse 53, that after the report of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, made it back to the chief priests, uh, they decided to kill Jesus once they got the chance. So the, the chief priests had, had already decided to kill one man. Now they have to kill two. They, they made plans to kill Jesus as well. See how evil grows. They need to kill one man, now two. Soon it will be more. They need Jesus out of the way because they don't want people to follow him. They, they don't want that uprising that the Romans will, will, 
will crush. They don't want people to not respect them and their authority. But what about Lazarus? Well, you see, Lazarus was walking, talking, evidence that Jesus raised him from the dead. Everyone in Bethany and beyond knew that Lazarus had died. There was no denying that. And yet here he is, walking, talking, evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. And so they hate him and they want him dead. They want Jesus out of the way and they want Lazarus out of the way and soon they will want all his followers out of the way. And you know, there are people like that today. People who hate Jesus. And if they hate Jesus, they will hate his followers. Especially those who are perhaps most obviously his followers. And if you're a Christian, you are walking, talking evidence of how Jesus can change someone's life. Like Lazarus, you could be the reason people come to Jesus because your life is an example, hopefully, of the difference Jesus can make. But you can also become the target. People who hate Jesus will hate you too. And the people who hate you for being a Christian may well be powerful people. They, they may be dangerous people, as these religious leaders were. And for some, that's too high a cost. It was, it was certainly a too high a cost for Judas. But if we are Christians, if we get a hold of what Jesus has done for us and we are grateful to him from the bottom of our hearts, even the world's opposition to us won't be too high a cost. If he means everything to us, there'll be no price that is too high for following him. Especially when we realise that having Jesus is worth so much more than anything we have to give up or do for him. So we've seen someone who thinks Jesus is worth it, someone who thinks also there's a limit to what Jesus is worth, and someone who hates Jesus and his followers. And as I've said at the start, I think the story of Mary's devotion and Judas's hypocritical sneering and the hostility of those who hate Jesus and his followers is meant to ask us, is meant to make us ask this question, do you think he's worth it? Do you think Jesus is worth it? Do you think whatever it may be? Do we think Jesus is worth what Mary did? Or do you think he went, she went too far? You see, every day we have that, we, we have that choice to make. Do you think Jesus is worth it? Is Jesus worth doing the right thing even though it's hard? Is Jesus make, worth making sure we spend the time every day reading the Bible and praying? Spend the time to come to church? Is Jesus worth giving up things that we know were wrong? Do you think he's worth it? Is Jesus worth giving up things that aren't necessarily wrong, but they're not helping us to live the way he wants us to live? Is Jesus worth obeying in, in everything? Is Jesus worth looking foolish in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of friends and maybe family? Do you think he's worth it? Is Jesus worth being hated by those who hate him? Is Jesus worth being laughed at and despised? Is Jesus worth maybe giving up an image of yourself that you like to portray? Do you think he's worth it? Is Jesus worth giving up the habit that you can't kick? Is Jesus worth dealing with the addiction that is consuming your life? Is Jesus worth even giving up that relationship you know is wrong? Do you think he's worth it? Do you think he's worth the most precious thing to you? Mary thought so. Judas, not so much. 
And every day in our Christian life, we have choices to make. And it boils down to this. Do we think Jesus is worth everything? Or do we think there are limits? Because there will come a point when you will face a choice. Maybe you're facing it now. When you're questioning whether Jesus is really worth it. When you're tempted to hold something back. When, when you are holding something back. You see, that's the root to betraying him. To thinking he's not worth it. And abandoning him like Judas. And if you're not a Christian and you're, and you're thinking about becoming one, there will be things in your life that will have to change. Things you will have to give up. Things you will have to stop doing. Things you will have to start doing. There is a, there is a cost to following Jesus. There is a sacrifice. But it is, it, it is small fry compared to what he has done for us. And what we gain in following him is far greater than anything we have to give up for him. If we follow Jesus, we have forgiveness of sin. <coughs> eternal life, a relationship with him. For those of us who are Christians, he's died in our place. He's forgiven our sin. He's given us new life. He's given us everything. He is worth anything we have to give. And if you're not a Christian, he is worth anything and everything and more than you have to give up to have him. Because if you follow him, you have peace with God, forgiveness of sin, and eternal life. And even now, while following him may be hard, he is there for us in the good times and the bad to help us and sustain us and keep us focused on him. Do you think he's worth it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We thank you for uh, that he came into this world. Uh, to live among us and to uh, to reveal you to us and then to die in our place and be raised from the dead. We thank you for those of us who are Christians that we uh, have our sins forgiven because of him, that we have new life in Jesus and a relationship with you. And we pray that there will be not that we would not ever think that things are, are not worth it for you, that we would always know that we would hold nothing back in our Christian lives, that we would be devoted and pour out our lives for you. And we pray also for those who do not know you, those who are here and those who, uh, who are not here this morning, that, that they will come to realise that, that Jesus is worth anything and everything. That Jesus has died in their place if they only trust in him. And we pray that you would draw them to yourself and bring them to tr- faith and trust. In Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name.